One of the cool things about the context for this is it actually gives us a real clear place in history as well uh, because it connects to Babylonian history, it connects to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we can actually go, okay, so this book actually begins in 605 BC to the year. And we know that it spans about 70 years uh, to when the Persians take over, um, conquer the Babylonian kingdom uh, empire, and then they are returned from exile. But anyway, that's roughly, that's where we are, and this story is nearish the beginning of it. We're not sure exactly where, but it's probably within um, 40 years of them arriving in Babylon. My computer's fallen asleep while I was explaining that. So, um, the book of Daniel is all about this exile and Daniel's experience of exile with his three mates. Who knows their names? Hananiah. There we go. I heard one Hananiah, I heard a whole bunch of Shadrachs. <laughs> so, we have Daniel and his three mates, Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah. And these are beautiful names. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. Mishael means who is what God is. It's wondering who is like God. No one's like God, right? And Azariah, God is a servant. And these four young blokes were scooped up out of Judah and taken to Babylon and they were given Babylonian education and given Babylonian names and now they are... Uh, well, uh, Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. Um, but this story focuses on Hananiah, who's become Shadrach, uh, Mishael, who's become Meshach, and Azariah, who's become Abednego. And I won't go into detail about what those names mean, except that they are honouring Babylonian gods. And so it's both fitting and ironic, I think, that we have this name change here. Um, it's fitting because honouring false gods is how Judah got into this situation in the first place. Um, throughout history kind of after King Solomon, um, the kingdom of Judah and Israel split and both kingdoms kind of moved further and further and further away from God. Some kings were God-honoring and sort of brought them a little bit closer to God again and others would be like, no, I'm really into these foreign gods, these false gods around us. Um, let's worship them. Let's build altars to them. Let's get into child sacrifices. All sorts of stuff that uh, God does not give the thumbs up for. So um, by 2 Kings 21, if you want to check it out, Judah is at their absolute worst. King Manasseh is, is leading them in that and going, let's worship everyone, let's engage in all these sorts of things, and um, judgment come, is announced against them. All right, it's time for exile. God's covenant with them when, they, when he brought them out of Egypt was conditional on them walking with God, on, with them honouring God, and um, they haven't held up their side of the bargain. So... Time for, time for exile, Babylon comes in. And so that's why it's fitting that their names have been changed. In exile, their names that honour God are taken away. It appears that they're no longer God's people. Instead, they're given names that honour false gods. But it's also ironic because we see in this story, and we know them better as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we know them better by their Babylonian names, honouring false gods, is that we also know them for standing up and going, no, I'm not going to honour your false god. I'm actually going to only honour the one true God of Israel. And so it's quite an irony there, but it's, um, I just find it really interesting. <laughs> um, and what it shows is that even in exile, they still are actually God's people. So in the text that uh, Stephen read for us, 
we see they refuse to honour any God except their own, and they say God is able to deliver us, and even if he doesn't, we will not worship your gods or your statue. Let's um, bring the text up onto the screen. Thanks, Joel. Um, so this is the, the answer is in the second paragraph. We have no need to answer you in this matter. God whom we serve is able to deliver us, and if he doesn't, we're still not worshipping your gods. Now the king is furious. He says, all right, it's time for the furnace. Crank it up to its highest setting. Send them boys in. But um, we're not actually going to go into what happens when they're thrown in, into the furnace. And the reason is, what's, what sticks out to me in this passage, and the reason why we're looking at it today, is really not what God does or doesn't do for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but rather how they are faithful to God, what their disposition is towards God in the face of anything. God is able to deliver us. We will not serve your gods or worship them. Um, let's summarise it a little bit differently. So can we have the next slide? Our God whom we are able to serve, sorry, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Another way to frame that is regardless of whether God will actually deliver us, he is able and he is worthy of all worship. And that's what really sticks with me. And that's what I really want us to grow in. I want to grow in. I want us all to grow in. Regardless of whether God actually delivers us from whatever we're going through, from whatever we will face, he is able, he is all-powerful, um, and he is worthy of worship. So I'm going to um, break this into two small points, uh, and we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking those. Uh, one is we want to have this firm belief that God has power over anyone or anything working against us. That's the next point. Thank you. And two... I want us to humbly trust that both God's yes and God's no are God's faithfulness. God has power over anyone or anything. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can get in the way of, in the way of his plans. And both his yes and his no are his faithfulness. So, let's start with the first point. I think it's the easier point. Um, God has power over anything and everything. In Scripture, we find so many examples of God's deliverance um, Abraham and Sarah from childlessness, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, um, David from King Saul, Jonah is rescued by a big fish from drowning in the sea, the city of Nineveh is rescued from God's righteous judgment, Daniel is rescued from the lion's den, that's a spoiler for a little bit later in Daniel. Um, every time Jesus healed someone or cast out demons or raised the dead, that is God's deliverance at work. Every time an angel came and rescued the apostles from prison so that they could keep on pre preaching, that's God's deliverance at work. And so we see countless examples of God's yes, of God is able, God is all-powerful. Isn't that such a comfort? To know that God is able? To know that God is all-powerful? This means that we can always, and I really mean always, bring our desires to Him. 
no matter what they are, no matter what our struggles are. The example here in Daniel is life or death, but it doesn't have to be life or death. We can bring whatever, whatever sits on our hearts to him. I'm suffering. God, can you bring me relief? I'm sick. God, can you please heal me? I have enemies. Can you bring me peace? I'm isolated. Can you bring me friends? I'm overlooked. Can you make me seen? I'm lonely. Can you bring me someone to love? I'm confused. Can you give me clarity? I'm bored. Can you give me something better to do? I'm missing out. Can I have some of what they have? Whatever it is, we can bring it to God and he has the power to say yes or no. He hears us. And all of those questions, all of those requests that we can bring to God are okay, are good. If we have those desires, let's bring them to God. And he might not say yes. So if you're with me for this part, it's really important to be with me for the next part. To understand that both God's yes and God's no really are God's faithfulness to us. In the Bible, we see so many examples of God's deliverance, but we also see examples where God didn't deliver, it seems. Um, in Genesis, even as God watched, Joseph was beaten by his brothers and sold into slavery. But when he was re- reunited with his brothers years later, he said to them, in Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, the Apostle Paul says... Um, Oh, good. I do have this one on a slide. Thank you. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn, the revelations, there's context for that um, elsewhere in the passage, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Something was ailing Paul. We don't know what this thorn or messenger of Satan was, but we know that it persisted. We know that Paul, who'd witnessed miracles, who'd by God's power, participated in miracles, who was a huge influence in the early church, said, God, can you help me with this? And he said, no. And that was God's faithfulness to him. God answered, my grace is sufficient for you. This rings true, doesn't it? That um, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And it's a really succinct way to put it. It's a really wonderful way to put it. And I think it's something that we can identify with ourselves as well. We can see God's power made perfect in weakness. We see it um, throughout history as well. Even in the Bible reading we had today, look at how the kingdom of Judah, when they didn't see their need for God, they didn't turn to God. In fact, they turned away from him. They rejected him. They rejected the relationship they have with him, the covenant they have with him, had a good thing going and said, nah, we've got it. We can find our good elsewhere. But when they were made weak, when they were captives of Babylon, look at how they stood up and said, we'll worship only our God. What a witness that is. 
And you can see if you read Daniel, which all happens in exile, how God is glorified through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, through Daniel or Belteshazzar, whatever his name is, um, while he's there. When God is glorified in what they're doing, it influences the leaders of those, of those empires. It influences the place that they've been put into, and God is glorified all the more. So even if we don't look at whether or not God delivers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, we see that they're already living out that God's no is still his faithfulness, and they will still worship him. Because they're in exile. They're, in, they're suffering, they're oppressed, and still they'll worship only God. And when we say God's yes and his no are his faithfulness, even his no is his faithfulness, what we're not saying is God is worthy in spite of his no. We're not saying, even though things, God's not quite getting everything right, he's still worthy. What we're saying is he's worthy all the more because of his no. Because he knows, he has his plans worked out for us, he knows what we need. He knows what will best glorify him. So, God's no's can be to humble us. They can be to redirect us. They can be uh, to just not give us something that we would worship and serve God if we got it. God's no can be to show his power all the more to those around us, as we saw in the example here as well. And sometimes... God's no is because we just don't know what's good for us at all. I think the parents really identify with that as well. (laughs) Because our experience with our kids is that they don't really know what's good for them. And I'm sure we've all growing up heard multiple times, you know, why is mum and dad saying no? Well, look, we don't know what's good for us. Our parents do. And so here's something of a life hack for you. If you're still parented by parents in one way or another, if you want to get more yeses and less noes, but if you do this really well, you can eliminate the noes altogether. All right? And even if your parents are in the room here, even if they're hearing this this trick, this life hack, it's still going to work on them. Here's the trick. All you have to do is want what they want for you. (laughs) Who said that's not a trick? (laughs) If you really want what your parents want for you and you ask them for it, what will they tell you, yes or no? Yes. Isn't that pretty sweet? Mom, can I have more veggies? Yes. Can I help set the table? Yes. Um, I'm learning about this at school and I don't quite understand. Can we spend more time learning together? Yes. Can I get to know you and, you know, what's going on with you better? Yes. Thanks. This is a surefire way to get yeses. But my kids already know some. Daniel's four, Gia is two, and they already know. I don't know if they do this on purpose, but um, can we pray about it? Yes, yeah. (laughs) Every single time we do that as well, and then we go, yes. Can we read the Bible? Yes. Now, here's one that works on me and doesn't work on Trippy so much. Um, Can I watch you play a video game? (laughs) 
Daniel will do that one. I'll go, oh, look, I'm, I'm busy at the moment, but let's open my calendar. I'll set aside some time. We'll lock it in. We're going to make this happen. Yes. And it works so well, even when parents know this trick, because they're not actually being manipulated, right? Um, you're just aligned on your goals. Parents want you to learn and to grow and to be a blessing and for you to love your family and for you to love God. Yes, 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 yes. Now, this also applies for those who aren't being parented. The same thing works with God. If we want more yeses from God, all we have to do is want what God wants for us. Can I please be part of your family? Yes, in Jesus. Yes. Can you please help me love you and people better? Yes, of course. God is love, as we read in 1 John 4. Can I please grow in wisdom? Yes. In James chapter 1, he says that if any of us lacks wisdom, we just ask God and he'll give it to us. It's always good to have more wisdom. It's always good to grow in love for people and to grow in love for God. It's always good for our wills to be more aligned with his. Yes, 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 yes. And sometimes... As our wills become more aligned with God's, as we want more and more of what God wants, some of those old no's, some of them, in God's kindness, may become yeses. If they would have been idols to you when you weren't aligned with God, but now he can give them to you in a way that will glorify him all the more. Yes. And some of our old no's become nothings. Um, don't actually want those anymore. Thanks. My desires have changed. And some of those no's, many of them probably, will just remain no's. And that's okay. None of our desires are hidden from God, but he wants us to bring them to him with open hands. Give them to him and say, Lord, this is what I desire, but your will be done. If it's not good for me, take it away. You can even pray, Lord, please help me, if it's not good for me, to no longer have this desire. And sometimes, whether it's to humble us, like Paul in 2 Corinthians, the answer will still be no. And we can trust that that no is God's faithfulness. What I want is also for us, I want us to align ourselves more with God's will, which is something we can't really just muster in our own strength, but we can pursue and we can pray for and he'll help us with that. But also to not be afraid of the no's. To bring any desire we have to God open-handed. Not, I, I know it can be actually scary to go, all right, I don't actually want to pray for this because then I have to ask your will be done. And if I ask your will be done, your will might be no, and then I have to let go of it. I've been afraid of that. I'll probably be afraid of that again. Um, but we should bring any desire we have to God, trusting that his no is his faithfulness. And his, it's not a sign necessarily that we're doing something wrong either. I love that Jesus gives us an example, lives out an example of God saying no. Jesus went to God, asked for something, and God said no to him. On the night he was betrayed, he prayed to God in the garden. He looked at the suffering, the terrible suffering that was laid out before him, and he said he didn't want it. 
He said, if it's possible, can I not have it? But not my will, but yours be done. And the Father willed that Jesus go to the cross and Jesus went to the cross. And the Father willed that Jesus bore the cost of all of our sin and Jesus bore the cost of all of our sin. Praise God. That no was God's faithfulness to us. He owes us nothing, but that's still his faithfulness to us. And so when God said to Paul, who has a thorn in his side or is being bugged by Satan or one of Satan's messengers or something like that, he has something that's persisting that he can't deal with, that he can't get rid of, and God's not taking it away from him. When God says, my grace is sufficient for you, that's something that actually is true for all of us in Jesus. God's grace in Jesus is sufficient for all of us. Eternal life with God, freely given, at great cost to Jesus rather than to ourselves. Everything else God gives us, on top of that, is just heaping generosity upon generosity. And if God gives us nothing else besides Jesus, who's available to all, if anyone here doesn't, you're not a Christian yet, it's available to you as well, to know Jesus. Anything on top of that is God's generosity. But if God gives us nothing else and only gives us Jesus, that is still more than we could have ever asked for, more than we ever deserved. That is a tremendous yes that says God's grace is sufficient for us. When we trust, when we're learning to trust in the faithfulness of God's no, something we also need to reckon with is that not everything in this world is for us. Sometimes it's, it seems trite maybe to fit in. It feels important to me to fit in and I have a hard time fitting in. And some people are just never going to fit in until we are fitting in with all of, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ worshipping God. Some of us want to be married and will never be married. And Jesus said, there isn't even marriage in heaven. And heaven's better than all that. So it's not an essential experience to be married. It's not an essential experience to have kids. It's not an essential experience to achieve fame or to be recognized. And it's not even an essential experience to have what everyone else around us seems to have. It's part of understanding God's faithfulness in his no. That we're not going to go to heaven in eternity with him dissatisfied. And being like, oh, I wish I just could have done that. God is faithful in both his yes and his no. So... Coming to a close already. I want us to grow in that desire. And part of it is looking at it and saying, yes, that's good. And part of it is meditating on it. And part of it, the biggest part of it really, is asking God for it. God, can you align my will to yours? God, can you help me want what you want? Can you help me so that when I bring you my deepest desires, I'm bringing you... I'm asking you for what you already want for me. Not for the sake of my having things, but that I love what you love, that I glorify you in all that I do, 
that I see your kingdom grow. I reckon God will say yes to all those things. So I'm going to pray together. I'd love for us to pray this again and again with all of our desires.